This is the Truth for the Man of His podcast. Welcome back to another edition of Bible Study Reflections, solo or with friends. This is episode 130. I'm your host, Jonathan. And for those who are unfamiliar with this segment, let me give you a quick background story. It was inspired by a Bible study I had with two of my friends once a week. And basically what we would do is that we would choose a book in the Bible to unpack together, choose two or three chapters, read them individually, and see what we could unpack by ourselves. Then we would come together and fellowship with one another and learn from what we believe God has revealed to us individually. Remember, scripture says, anytime two or three are gathered, there am I in your midst. Now, what I concluded from these talks is I would still be full of information and yet still curious about a lot of the things. So I decided to create this segment called Bible Study Reflections, Solo with Friends. And the goal ultimately was to grow a fellowship with others. If you are open to fellowshipping with me on the next Bible Study Reflection, Solo with Friends, reach out to me on my social media outlets like TikTok and Instagram. And those handles are the truth of TMIS, altogether, the truth of TMIS. And we can fellowship one another. You can also reach out to me on our Facebook group called I'm a Believer. Again, it's called I'm a Believer. And there's also an email speed, S P E E D, and then E D at the end of that, 83 at gmail.com. Again, it's speed it. 83 at gmail.com looking forward to hearing from some of you so today's episode is a solo episode and the passage that i will be choosing from comes from this week's bible study and i truly believe you will be blessed but of course before we go any further we're going to begin with prayer now before we pray i also want to emphasize the importance of being safe obviously this is Thanksgiving coming up this week, Black Friday also coming up this week. So we pray for traveling mercies for all those who are traveling and looking to spend time with family. And we also pray for the safety of those that are looking for the deals out there that can benefit you for gifts coming up this Christmas or birthdays. Now without further ado, let's begin with prayer. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for eyes to see, for ears to hear, for a heart to receive, and for a mind to understand what is in front of us daily as believers. The truth of the matter is we must carry our own cross, and therefore I pray that we are to remain encouraged. Lord, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise for who you are as God, Yahweh, the one true God. Thank you for creating us in your own image and for thinking of us since the foundation of the world. We thank you for loving us more than we will ever know. We thank you for your word. And Lord, speaking of your word, as we open it up today, give us the courage and the comfortability to accept what you have said regarding us and our situations. I pray for humbleness and openness when it comes to our obedience to your precepts. Lord, use this opportunity to inform us of why your ways are better than our own and how they will always be better than ours. 
I pray that this wisdom doesn't depart, but that it remains in the conscience of all those who are listening today. Lord, we say these things in faith. In your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's begin by saying this, right? The truth of the matter is, in my opinion, once I came across this passage that I read in Bible study last week, I knew instantly it would be used for this segment. I knew it could be used for great dialogue. I knew it could be used as a stepping stone to get us thinking deeply because that's what your word does. It transforms us. It helps us grow. It allows us to see the blind spots. It allows us to see the reality of the things that we're going through if we if we let it. So with that being said, the passage is Psalms 53 verses 1 through 3. Short but very powerful, and you'll see just in a second. And we're going to be looking at this in the NIV, NLT, and Amplified version. And you'll understand soon enough why I've selected those translations and the benefits of looking at it through those translations. So I want to start off with the NIV, and this is what it says. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, and their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven on all of mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone has turned away or have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, I like the way that NLT expresses half of verse one, and it says, only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. What the NLT does that I really like and I appreciate in that is that exclusively it addresses certain people, not all people. The word only speaks to a certain audience which is beautiful and it's not misleading the key factor is that it doesn't say all the scripture says only which focuses on a certain crowd who think this way now i appreciate the amplified version and it, it, its approach says the empty-headed fool has said in his heart there is no god the empty-headed fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So to be empty-headed really speaks to your lack of exposure on God's existence. If anyone is going to speak on God's existence, we should know that it can't be from a limited perspective, right? You need to be able to express God's character, and that actually comes from experience, walking with God. And you get to know God through reading his word, through the acts of obedience. And the last factor, which is very important, giving it time. If you don't do any of those things, I just mentioned, you can't establish a legitimate relationship with God. So I'll repeat that. In order to know God, one of the things you have to start is by reading his word and if you're reading his word you're being obedient 
And if you're being obedient, you're giving it time. And by giving it time, you will see how God can reveal himself through these situations, through your experiences. And this is what a relationship is all about. Just like in any relationship, it's about time. It's about getting to know the person and understanding them. And what we have about God's character is through the scriptures and through the testimony of others that have testified of their experience of what God has done for them in their situation. That's why in the book of Corinthians and the book of Acts, things were written down for our benefit, for our understanding, for our education. Why? Because it shapes an understanding of how God does things in his timing. And his timing is always better than ours because he's always right on time in the place that we need it. Okay, let's dig even deeper here philosophically, biblically wise. The word fool in Hebrew means stupid and wicked. I believe when it comes to being wicked, it's really a person's desire to be dismissive in principle or in practice and to act selfishly with no concern or merit. Now, I've mentioned this a few times. However, I believe it's worth mentioning again. There's a huge difference between stupidity and ignorance. Ignorance simply means not to know. Stupidity means to know and still act without any regard or sense, right? The scripture is clear in Romans 1, and we're going to be looking at Romans 1 to really support and unpack Psalms 53 verses 1 through 3. So we'll, we'll go to Romans 1. We'll start at verse 18. Reading from the NIV, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness, and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So let's stop here and think about this, right? The truth of the matter is a wicked person has no regard for justice, righteousness, truth, and honor. A wicked person has no regard for justice, righteousness, truth, and honor. All those things come across as unrealistic to a wicked person. In fact, in Psalms 53, 1, the psalmist says in the NLT that only fools say in their heart, there is no God. The English word fool comes from the Greek word moros, from which we get our word moron. When you think about it, a fool is someone who refuses to listen to wisdom or learn from discipline. Those who love wisdom, love knowledge. Those who hate correction are stupid. One of my favorite passages in the book of Proverbs. Those who love wisdom, love knowledge and discipline. Those who hate correction are stupid. Failing to fear God or respect the rules of reality is what a fool does. As a side note. You know, respecting the rules of reality simply means not seeking out spiritualists, wizards, witches, sorcerers, the ancestors of the dead, in hopes, 
honestly to mess with the third realm of reality, the metaphysical realm, in order to pull things in your favor because you say so or you want things to go in your favor. That's messing with the rules of reality. Witchcraft is messing with the rules of reality. If we are being truthful, a fool repeats their folly much like a dog returning to his or her vomit. This is why in Psalm 53, 1, the psalmist says, Only a fool who says in their heart, there is no God. Now, there are dangers in speaking in absolutes for those who don't know. If you've been around for a long time, do you, you would know how motivated people can get when you say you can't do something or when someone says that's not possible. Look at the athlete, for example, the actor and actress, the doctor, the lawyer, the mechanic, even the student. Tell them they can't do something. Tell them it's not possible. There's a lot of amazing athletes now where their talent took over, took over, but you had teachers who taught them that said they would never be anything. And I've been there as an athlete. It motivates you. It encourages you. It makes you push harder. It makes you place a lot of effort in the things you do. Maybe you're doing 2,100-yard sprints, but you do 24. Maybe you're doing a certain amount of reps, but you're doing extra. Just to motivate you even more. You know, research individuals that have, if you research individuals, you'll notice that they've broken the world record in a lot of different things, right? And pull-ups and push-ups and planks. And, of course, it seemed like it wasn't possible. But the point is, to say something is not possible and you're limited viewpoint of the world is wild and of course nonsensical this is why the bible calls you a fool in the first place and in the psalmist perspective he's calling you a fool for anyone who thinks like that ought to be called a fool as a result of your limited thinking think about this right in 2021 there was approximately 7.8 billion people on this earth. In 2023, there's about 8 billion and climbing, right? The human race is resilient. Remember, all of us were creating God's image, the Imago Dei, and all of us deserve respect and dignity. And we are all like God when we are creating. So it gets to a point that many things are possible with the God-given talents that are giving and are possible with God. The reality is, is that if you think they aren't, you're just missing the fact that you don't see it. You're not exposed to it, but it's happening and it's continuously happening. Keep in mind that what you have experienced thus far should not be enough for you to speak in any absolutes. The only absolute that we can speak about is our trust and faith in God. Because that is absolute. God is absolute. Us, on the other hand, are not. So I say that, so to say, again, that there's no God, 
I think you got to sit back and really say, really? Is that what you think? Now, the Amplified Version says a fool is empty headed, which means the person knows nothing or stupidly they are acting like they don't know. So let's pick it back up with Romans 1, beginning at verse 19. It says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God hasn't made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal powers, his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So let's stop here. So Paul is talking about the creation story, the biblical account that Moses wrote in Genesis, right? The belief in theological circles is that Moses wrote the first five books, the Torah. Okay. Just in case you didn't know. He's also talking about Hebrews 11 verses 1 to 3. I believe there are some theologians that also believe Paul is the writer of Hebrews, right? But no one knows certain. But I, I believe Paul was right of Hebrews. And he says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. You're reading it from the King James Version. It says faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. We go to verse 2. This is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 3. By faith we understood or understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So based on God's rules, we must have faith. Let's go to Hebrews. Let's go to verse 6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Just want to read this verse in the Amplified Version before it says, But without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and please him. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. Just love the experience of reading in a different translation. That sort of digs a little bit deeper in the understanding of it, especially when you share it to the masses. If you're reading this, right, Hebrews 11, 6, this is the rule of engagement when it comes to God. That engagement is our faith. And for those who don't remember, the way I've defined faith from a practical standpoint is that faith is an enduring process, is an inherent foreknowledge, and it's a reason trust. I'll say it again. Faith is a reason trust, an enduring process, and an inherent foreknowledge. So let's continue with Romans 1. Pick it back up at verse 21. For although they do God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became fruitile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal gods for images made to look like mortal humans, beings, and birds, and animals, and reptiles, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts and sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised 
Amen. Let's jump over to verse 28 and finish the chapter. Furthermore, just as they did not think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a deprived mind so that they do what not to do to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gospelers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Let's stop here and go back to the other half of verse 1 in Psalms 53. The NIV version says, They are corrupt and their ways are vital. There is no one who does good. Now, the they speaks to the individuals who reject the existence of God. The word vital simply means wicked, which we've already covered and talked about. How are they corrupt? Well, verse 30 in Romans 1 covers it with one important statement. If you want to go back, you can reread verse 30. Actually, let's do that. Let's do that together. It says, verse 30. They are gospelers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Now, the one statement for me that stands out is that they are God-haters. And if a person is a God-hater, then of course, in their heart, they don't want to believe that God exists. So they are going to reject the existence of God just based off the fact that they hate God. And a lot of it is because they lack understanding, right? We have to understand this. When we don't read God's word and take the time to understand who God is, his character, his ways, then we will ignorantly believe that he doesn't love us and that he hates us. This is what Satan wants us to believe. He wants you to keep he wants to keep you ignorant and in the dark so that you can continue to go down a path of destruction. Remember, the whole goal in James is to say that we are supposed to draw near to him. But Satan wants to draw you away from God into self, into you being your own God, into you seeking out other spiritual sources of who God can be or what other belief systems and cultures say God is or goddesses or more than one God, right? Hinduism is a great example of that. The occult is a great example of that. Satan wants to keep you in the dark so that you can continue to go down the path of destruction. Destruction. Ignorance is a very bad place to be where others can dictate to you your behavior because of your limited knowledge of God. And we need to get out of that mentality. You know, Hosea chapter four, verse six says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The apostle Paul said in first Thessalonians four thirteen, King in the King James version, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. In the Amplified Version, it says, now we do not want you to be uninformed believers. We must be better when it comes to our knowledge of our Lord and Savior. 
The worst thing is to have someone else know more about your God and not believe that God and not have a relationship with that God and yet tell you everything they think you ought to know about your God which can drive you away from it, right? Beware, there are people out there who learn about your God in order to lead you away from him into into their falsehood and what they understand or believe God is. Keep that in mind. Keep this in mind also, right? The one who speaks ill against God is hurt and in pain. At the end of verse 1, it declares that no one is good, right? Now, Jesus said it, Paul said it, right? Jesus said it in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John. And I believe it wasn't mentioned in the Gospel of, of John's Gospel, but it was mentioned in Matthew, Luke, and Mark. Now, I believe that the reason why it wasn't mentioned in John's Gospel is because through the assistance of the Holy Spirit with the perspective that Jesus, of course, is God in the flesh, it wouldn't make sense for that verse to be there. But let's read it in Luke, Matthew, and Mark. It says, in Luke 18, 19, Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And in Matthew nineteen seventeen, it says, They asked Jesus about what is good. And Jesus said, Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Gospel of Mark ten eighteen says, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, Paul says it in Romans 3, verse 23 through 24, but in a different way. But it can still be interpreted and understood as in the sense of what we're talking about. For it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, which means no one has done good. Instead, they have fallen short of God's standards. And of course, what is required is repentance. So let's finish up with Romans 1, beginning at verse 32. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they are not only continue to do these very things, but also disprove of those who practice them. Let's move on to verse 2 of Psalms 53. For it says, God looks down from heaven on all people who want to see if there are any who understand. He wants to see if there are any who trust in God. This is an interesting verse because the psalmist is giving God's human-like qualities. We obviously can't take this verse literally because that would question the idea that God is all-knowing and we should know by now that nothing ever occurs to God. God does not need to go through a process like us. He's omniscient, meaning all-knowing. God is all-knowing. And in a sense, because he's all-knowing, he's aware of our past, present, and future. Not just our past, present, and future. But the world's past, present, and future. Again, there's no process. There's no occurrence that passes him. So what should we take away from verse 2? Well, God is watching you and your progress. 
as a follower of Christ. The verse says, he wants to see if there are any who understand. Now I thought about this and what I concluded is that life is hard and we need help. We can't do it alone, right? Scripture says in the book of Proverbs, in all you're getting, get understanding. And if I keep making the same mistakes and not learning from them or making adjustments, then I'm just recircling my experiences with the same result. The ending of verse two says that he wants to see if there are any who trust in God. Now the practical conclusion here from today for today, right? Because obviously this was written in the context of the psalmist or David's experience, but we're trying to pull away the practical aspect of what could be applied to the believer who is reading this version or this portion in Psalms. And I believe the practical stance here is that after you have tried your ways numerous amount of times, you have to ask yourself, are you willing to do it in someone else's strength that isn't your own? Are you willing to do it in someone else's strength that isn't your own? Because remember, thus far, you've been doing it in your own strength and you've been failing. In fact, you haven't seen success. And sometimes God has to frustrate us to understand the importance of why we can't do it anymore and why we need assistance and help. Because when you make the attempt to do it on your own, failure is obvious. But guess what? This is why counsel is important. This is why relationship and mentorship is important. Because it's through those avenues of those who've lived longer and experienced things can they advise you to pursue or to give you a better option. Okay? And... According to the, the context of the text, we know in Psalms 53, he hasn't sent Jesus out yet. But it's leaning into the direction when you think about it, because whose strength are we ought to do all things? In Philippians 4, 13, it says, I can do all things through who? Christ, who strengthens me. Amen. So to trust in God is to trust in Jesus. You know, Jesus said that in John 14, 1, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, but also believe in me. The Amplified Version says, Do not let your hearts be troubled, afraid, cowardly. Believe confidently in God and trust in him. Have faith, hold on to it, rely on it, keep going, and believe also in me. Psalms 53 verse 3 finishes with this. Everyone has turned away. All have been corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Final thoughts here. Obviously, this is from the perspective of the psalmist, David, and the predicament that he's in. He's obviously watching and noticing the lifestyles that people are living in his context. He makes a profound statement. Everyone has turned away. No one has desired to do what's right, but instead they desire to go their own way thereby being corrupt because self is placed in high priority over what is right. He sees that no one is good, not one. He sees that no one is good, not one. 
it's passages it's passages like this where we see David was a man after God's own heart. Obviously, David has his own problems. We all do. And yet, in the end, he knew his own shortcomings and he repented. As we conclude and as we conclude and look at Psalms 53, 1 through 3, there's a lesson to learn from this passage. And and the same issue has plagued us throughout biblical history, throughout world history, throughout history itself. Nothing has changed. The one thing that is obvious is that we are in control of our worldview and how we see the world and what shapes it. We will have to either allow the word of God to shape it or listen to outside influences. And by doing that, they can successfully they can successfully they can successfully take us away from God. The choice is ours. Ultimately, the choice is ours. That's the beautiful thing God has given us. He's given us choice. And the choice that we make can either be in favor of being obedient to what God has to say and what he wants for us and he knows best. Or to go our own way and venture out into other areas in hope for joy. But the reality is where you find it. So. I hope that this has been a blessing to you. This passage is very, a very deep passage for me because the question itself really points to the thought process that people go through and how they come to certain conclusions. And I thought just the connection to Romans one, and I didn't even connect to Romans seven and eight was also could be shared in this conversation. There's so many different directions that it can go. But ultimately, I believe this will bless you. Now, we're finished with prayer. Okay. Oh, God, in Jesus name, we thank you for your word, which guides us and directs us and holds us accountable if we allow it. We thank you for growth and development because through it, we can reflect and be better ambassadors and representatives of you. As we go throughout the week, Lord, I pray that we are thoughtful, mindful, and careful that we are seeking to bless others who need it that we are remembering that the things we say the way we carry ourselves don't just represent you but also it's the way that we act and the way that we treat others that they can experience you because the love that you have given us, we ought to love others the same way. You said, you said it very clearly that the way that you love us and the way people will know we are disciples is based upon how we love them. There's no greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends which you've done for us and it is important it is vital that we are also very thoughtful and helpful to those who need it let us not turn 
the other way if we see one in need if we are capable let us do so but most importantly let us remain in your word because in it is where we can get direction to live out the christian difference where we can get the direction to be bold in our walk and unashamed and anything else so lord we say these things in jesus name we pray amen and amen